Well, friends, if we can uh, return back to that portion of Scripture, the second portion we read in the Gospel of uh, Luke, Luke chapter 19, and uh, verse 10. For the Son of Man is come to seek uh, and to save uh, that which was lost. Now, as we consider uh, uh, this morning the happenings in the life of uh, uh, wealthy man we have here, uh, a wealthy uh, tax collector. Let me quote to you what uh, uh, Spurgeon once said about possessions, material possessions. He said, that only is worth my having, which I can have forever. That only is worth my grasping, which death cannot tear out of my uh, hand. Now, we all know that there were many uh, rich people uh, recorded in the scriptures, and they would have no appreciation whatsoever of what these words uh, mean that uh, Spurgeon uh, uh, quotes there. They're taken up with their own um, riches, their own wealth, their prosperity, and it means more to them than the greatest of all riches the pearl of great price, the unsearchable uh, riches of, of, of Christ. They think themselves that what they have accumulated, they imagine in their own strength, is far, far more valuable and far more precious than anything uh, that Jesus presents and offers uh, in the gospel. Now, there are exceptions, of course, and we thank God for that. And I want to consider with you this rich man that we have here, a publican that's called uh, uh, Zacchaeus, and how he responded uh, to what he heard from the lips uh, of our uh, Lord. Now, I re re refer there, you know, to, to that verse, uh, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And I want to use that verse, but focusing in on the Lord's dealings uh, here uh, with uh, Zacchaeus. Now, what a text that is, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. We're all lost. We all have that in common. We're all lost because we're sinners, hell-deserving sinners at that. We're lost, sinners by nature, and sinners by practice. Lost in the world, lost without hope, Lost without Christ. And yet God in his grace and in his mercy offers uh, the gospel message to all who will hearken and hear it, as we see with Zacchaeus here. A lost sinner and Jesus passes by to seek and to save him. Now, this day began like any other day for Zacchaeus. It was a memorable day, but it began like any other normal day. He fell out of bed that morning, uh, a sinner. But he went to bed that evening, a sinner saved by God's uh, uh, grace. A sinner saved by God's grace because he becomes a believer. A converted Zacchaeus, a saved Zacchaeus, as a case that was born again, a new creature in uh, Christ Jesus. Now, the setting here we have is, is um, 
Jericho, and it's a town that was situated in the in the Jordan Valley. We all hear of of the of the West Bank sometimes on the news. It was in the West Bank uh, in Israel. That's where Jericho was was uh, situated, and we see that Jesus wa was passing through. Now Jesus was passing through Jericho here for the last time. He was on his way to the to Calvary to the cross where he would die the death of deaths for this very, very man that he had come to Jericho uh, to uh, save. An extraordinary death it was, the death of, of uh, uh, death. Now, what was, was uh, Jericho like? Historians, they record many things about, uh, about Jericho, but they tell us that it was a little uh, paradise resort. People in these days also uh, took uh, breaks, holiday breaks, and apparently this was an ideal location. Why? Simply because of where it was located. It was apparently located 853 feet below sea level, and it enjoyed a good climate throughout uh, uh, the year. It had many features, but one of the most uh, outstanding features uh, was that its streets were lined with trees, palm trees and sycamore trees. This was where Zacchaeus was born. This was where Zacchaeus grew up. Now, I want to consider with you this man Zacchaeus and the Lord's gracious dealings with him under three simple headings that you can take with you uh, uh, during the course of the week. Firstly, Zacchaeus' curiosity. Zacchaeus is curiosity. Now, the first thing that we read here about Zacchaeus is that he was a very prominent individual. He was a very, very powerful, prominent, distinguished man because of his position. Notice he was the chief among the publicans. Now, that means he was, sometimes you see letters coming through the post, these brown letters from the tax office. And generally, if, if not all the time, they're signed by the chief of inspectors. This was the top notch. Zacchaeus was your top notch, as if it were. He was the chief tax inspector. And he was the governor of all the other tax offices in the whole uh, uh, district, in the whole region. And it seems, what is here? It seems he made the most of his high saluting, as if it were, grandiose position. Look, because he was very rich. In fact, he was fabulously rich. He was, if we can say, filthy rich. In fact, all tax publicans, collectors, were, were filthy rich. And that was because they emptied other people's pockets in, uh, while lining their own. They didn't care uh, uh, what they did in the process. They emptied people's pockets scrupulously to line their own pockets, handsomely line their own pockets at that. Whatever else Zacchaeus was, you know, friends, he wasn't clean at heart. He was dishonest, he was deceitful, and he was a crook. That's how this man became rich, because of his dishonesty, and his deceitfulness. 
Notice something else here. He was, yes, he was considerably rich, but he was also something else. He was considerably uh, hated. He was hated and scorned by everyone because of where he had come from and who he was. What do I mean where he had come from and who he was? You see, he was a Jew. But if I can say it, he jumped ship. And he was now an employee of the Roman uh, uh, Empire. And because of that, the Jews hated him the more. They regarded him as a, a traitor uh, and a rogue by his fellow Jews. They had no time for it. What else was he? Notice he was ambitious. Zacchaeus was very, very ambitious. He had high hopes and great aspirations for the future. You know, friends, let me pause here. There's nothing wrong in this world with being ambitious and having high aspirations. All these things are right and proper in their own place. Having high hopes and having great aspirations and being ambitious regarding our future. In fact, Scripture commends us when, when we aspire to be making plans uh, for, for, the, for the future, working well, working hard, working diligently. Whatsoever scripture says thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. And the Lord thy God will make thee plenteous in every work of thine hands. Now, all these things are fine and well in their own rightful place, as long as we don't As long as we don't do what? As long as we don't leave God out of the equation. That's exactly what Zacchaeus did. He left God out of the equation. He was living without God. He didn't want God to be a distraction in his life. He didn't want religion to hinder him or to keep him back. I met somebody not that long ago. The sad thing is, this man was 90, he told me. And this was what he said. I don't want any God or any religion in my life. I've managed fine without them until now. At 90, these things are only a distraction. What a dreadful indictment. Little did this man recognize God's unseen hand in the provisions of everyday life. And having spared them, not only three score and ten years, but twenty additional years. And he didn't want God to be a distraction in his life. You know, isn't it a, a, a sad indictment? Zacchaeus, despite his lofty ambitions, he didn't want God on his agenda. He didn't want Christ. There was no prayer, no call, no asking God for, for mercy. You know, his only ambition, friends, was to do well, to get on well, be successful for this world, to be rich. Make more money. How often I quote John D. Rockefeller in the pulpit and everywhere I go. 
the richest man that ever lived, was once asked by a journalist who saw him going into his car one morning, John, how much money does one need in this world to be truly satisfied? A little bit more. A little bit more. People go for that more, and they still want a little bit more. The heart of man is never satisfied with whatever uh, it gets. You know, despite his lofty ambitions, this man had really nothing. You know, I hope there's friends that there's nobody here today like, like uh, Zacchaeus. I don't know what your ambitions are in life. As I said, there's nothing wrong with being ambitious. But young man, young girl, make sure that you don't leave God out of the equation. Take God with you, whatever providence leads you in life. Put him first. Put him first in our lives. If we don't, there's a, there are consequences. One old divine, he says, the health of our bodies, he says, the passion of our minds, the noise and hurry and pleasures and business of the world. Lead, on, lead us on with eyes that see not and ears that hear not. No man caught up with this world is not ready, he says, for the next one. It's interesting, Thomas Brooks, he also adds to this, and he says, you may as well fill a bag with wisdom, a chest with riches, or a circle with a triangle, as the heart of man with anything here below. He says, a man may have enough of the world to sink it, but he can never have enough, he says, to satisfy it. I was reading the other day, the story is told of a, a man, a very wealthy man, and he offers his property uh, to anyone who considers himself contented. Needless to say, it wasn't very long when somebody came looking for his property. If you're contented, he says, why do you want my property? If you're contented, why do you want my property? The human heart. The Bible tells us it's not contented. Listen to what the wise man, King, wise King Solomon says. He that loveth silver shall not uh, be satisfied with silver. For he that loveth abundance with, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. All the labor of man is for his mouth. And yet the appetite is not filled. Why was uh, Zacchaeus' appetite not filled? Simple. Because he was, he was hungry after the things which perish uh, with the using. Things that perish with the using. You know, there's something startling about this man here. His name, Zacchaeus' name, it means pure, innocent, blameless, righteous. That's what his name meant. You know, friends, his, his life was inconsistent with the name that he had. He might, he might as well have been called fraudulent, deceitful dishonest 
know, that should be a, a, a lesson for us as well if we make a public profession that we're Christians. If we say that we're the Lord's people. You know, we should be well-read books in the world's library. So many people in our day have so few, uh, have, don't have a Bible. The Christian should be a well-read Bible in the world's library, if we can say it. And he should be a well-heard gospel as well, that our lives reflect the grace of God, if we indeed claim to be a Christian. That we don't live lives that are so uh, inconsistent, like the name that this man had, uh, Zacchaeus. The Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? What one Bible translation says that it is incurably, incurably religious. It is incurably, incurably sinful. But how, how thankful we are that the Lord has a cure for sin-sick souls such as you and I. That there is a cure, a sin-secure. It's interesting, Bishop Ryle, he says, hospitals, hospices and sanatoriums discharge many cases as incurable. But he says, but there are no incurable cases uh, under the gospel. Any sinner, he says, may be healed if he or she will only come to Christ. I spoke to many people this week. I spoke to many people last night going into the um, castle grounds. I know many of these young people. We love them dearly. But it was evident as you spoke to them, there was a missing link. There was a missing link in their lives. There was a missing link. It was when I was recently in air. It's, it's uh, the area that we witness in an air. It's a broken community. And there was brokenness written all over the place. And we started speaking to various people. And I remember speaking to a young man and telling him how the grace of God can make us all whole again, even in the midst of brokenness. And... I remember his curiosity was aroused, you see, as we spoke to him about the things of God, the grace of God, a new life, a new change, a new beginning, say, having your sins forgiven. And he started to ask questions. He became curious. It's interesting here that Zacchaeus, he had a great curiosity here to see Jesus. He had heard so that this Jesus that he had heard so much, much about. Notice here how his curiosity, uh, about his curiosity in verses three and four. And he saw to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, for the crowds, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was to pass that way. And Bishop Ryle, again, he says, curiosity and nothing but curiosity appears to have been the only motive of his mind. That curiosity, he says, once aroused, Zacchaeus was determined to gratify it. 
rather than not see Jesus, he ran on before along the road so that he might surely uh, see him. Zacchaeus' curiosity. Secondly, Zacchaeus' uh, calling. You know, friends, if you're here this morning without Christ, the devil will place many decoys, many, many traps and snares in your path to prevent you from coming to Christ. You know, respond to any other call in this world. He'll have you respond to any other call, whatever that call is, but not the call of the gospel, not the call to be converted, to be born again. He'll put so many things in your path to hinder you. Notice here how Zacchaeus, there was two obstacles that he had to overcome with God's help before coming to Jesus. The first one was the crowd, and the second one was his, was his own size. And he saw to see Jesus who he was and could not for the press because he was little of stature in, in height. He couldn't gratify or satisfy his curiosity because the crowds were there, because of his own size, because he was a little in height. You know, friends, Great sizes, little sizes, medium sizes. The devil will use them all to hinder you from coming to Christ. It's interesting. Charles Hodge, he says, Satan, the great adversary, directs all his energy to prevent men becoming the subject of that illumination of which the gospel, as the revelation of the glory of Christ, is the source. He has the, he has the power to certainly assume any pleasing shape and size to deceive men and drive them away from Christ and his gospel. I wonder what's hindering you, my friend, here today in Stornwood from coming to Christ. You know, I don't know what it is, but it must be something that's very, very important. It must be something that's very, very valuable. You know, friends, we have to dispose of it. Whatever it is, it has to be got rid of. It has to be thrown overboard. Whatever our excuses are, our excuses will take us to a lost eternity and uh, uh, to hell. Don't, friend, allow your excuses to take you to a lost eternity uh, in hell. You know, the only thing that you and I are really good at, we're good at something in this world. You know what we're good at? We're all good at sinning. We're all good at sinning. And it's because we're all good at sinning that we need to do exactly what Zacchaeus did here. And I say this with reverence, we need to start climbing. We notice here how Zacchaeus started climbing. Climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus. You know, he had done much climbing before this. Oh, he did much climbing before this. He was as if it were on a ladder. And he was climbing this ladder of ambition. This ladder of wealth and prosperity. And 
He wanted to be applauded as well. Tax collectors always want to be applauded. But little did he realize that the rungs of that ladder he was climbing were very, very dodgy, were very, very insecure, very, very wobbly and could collapse at any time. You know, the story is told of uh, a man called Sir Titus Salt, and apparently he was one of the world's wealthiest uh, woolen manufacturers at one time in, in history. And he began as, and he, became, he went on to become a multimillionaire. And he began as most businessmen, all businessmen do. He started at the, at the bottom of the, the, the ladder, and he started making his way up in life, and he did very well. And you applaud people who do well in life. And when you do well in life, you're recognized by society. He was recognized by the government of his day. He was given the title, Sir, uh, by Queen Victoria. And he was elected uh, to Parliament. Now, by the world's way of thinking, by the world's way of thinking, by the world's estimation, this man really had everything going for him. He had everything that this world could offer. Was he happy? He wasn't happy. He was deeply conscious that there was an emptiness in his own heart. The Bible says that the eye is not satisfied with seeing or the ear filled with hearing. No, Sir Titus Salt, despite all that he had heard, all that he had seen, all that he possessed, he wasn't happy. And the story goes on that he went one Lord's Day, one Sunday evening, he heard a preacher. And this preacher was uh, uh, telling how he had been in his garden days before. And as he sat in his garden, he uh, saw a caterpillar climbing up various painted sticks uh, to find a juicy stick at the top of these uh, painted sticks, only to retrace its steps because there was nothing there. Went up the second one. And the minister went on, he was listening to, he said, uh, there are many painted sticks, he says, in this world. There are painted sticks of pleasure, wealth, power, and fame. And they are all climbing, uh, calling out, climb me, climb me, climb me. Men climb them only to have to Retrace their steps. Sir, Ty Sir Titus Salt was a broken man. And the following day, he went, he went to that preacher. And he says uh, uh, to him, you know, he says, I've got in many ways everything in life. But in one sense, in another sense, I don't have anything. Is there any hope for a weary multimillion mayor like me? And that minister quoted to him a verse where he found peace, this man. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He found peace for his soul, Sir Titus Salt. You know, friends, that peace is only to be found when we start climbing. Climbing up to see Jesus, then there's blessing. Notice the blessing that accompanies that climbing. And when Jesus came to the place 
he looked up and saw and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Zacchaeus' curiosity, Zacchaeus' calling. And thirdly, a few thoughts on Zacchaeus' uh, conversion. You know, friends, there was absolutely nothing this day that was going to keep Zacchaeus uh, from seeing Jesus as he passed by. Nothing, absolutely nothing, despite what he was, despite what he deserved. What did he deserve? What did I deserve? All mankind through the fall, lost communion with God, under his wrath and curse, so made liable to all the miseries of this life, to death itself, and to the pains of hell forever. Notice here, this man, it's interesting, we see Zacchaeus running. He's running. Now, the historians tell us that, that um, that in the East, it was unusual for a man, a government official, a, a tax collector like this, a wealthy government official. They didn't run. It was humiliating to see a man of such status run. But notice, he's barely five feet tall with his shoes off. And he's running like a little boy because he hears so much about this Jesus, and he wants to see him. And you can, in the corner of your own eye, more or less see the crowds heaving and shoving, and, and he can't get near them. He can't get into through the crowds. He can't see this Jesus. What happens? We see him making his way uh, into a sycamore tree. Zacchaeus acting like a wee boy. Imagine this high faluting chief tax inspector had a prominent office in Jericho and he's now running like a wee boy. What humility. What humility. You know, friends, that's what must happen to you and me as well. I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. You know, before this day, he had a full and a busy agenda. As I said earlier, he was very ambitious. But then all of a sudden, there's only but one thing on his, on his busy agenda, and it's Jesus only. I sometimes wish we were so fixated with Jesus as we are with the church, as we are with religion, as we are with this, that, that's associated uh, with the divine. Jesus, he was fixated with Jesus only. Jesus only for believing. Jesus only for living. Jesus only for dying. That's all that was on his mind. Jesus only. He was absolutely fixated with this Jesus. No word of his will. No words of his ambitions, his plans. Oh, he had many plans. He had thrown them to the four winds.
And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down, and he received him joyfully. But this is what the scripture says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. You know, friends, in Stornoway today, Zacchaeus received what Rome couldn't give him. He received what none of the officers in Jericho could give him. He received that which the world out there, with all its pledges and promises, deceitful. They couldn't give him. He found Jesus. He found Jesus. He became a Christian. Oh, I meet many people. I'm a Christian. How do we know that he was a genuine Christian? You know, how do we recognize a good tree during the summer? The evidence is there for everybody to see. It speaks volume. You realize it's a good tree. It's fine greenery. It's fine fruit. Its roots are being well fed. How do you recognize a true Christian? His walk, his talk, his conduct, his actions, his dealings with his fellow men are different. With saints and uh, with sinners. Everything is so different about him. Everything became so different with Zacchaeus. Notice the evidence here. Behold, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he is also a son of Abraham, for the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. He began to appreciate words that he had no uh, uh, that he didn't appreciate before. Riches I hid not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, thou and always, thou and thou only first in my heart, high king of heaven. My treasure. Thou art. You know, friends, there's rewards in looking unto Jesus. There's a reward in looking unto you. Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. There's a reward in hearing what the truth says. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will give you an everlasting covenant, even the sure mercies of David. His name is probably forgotten by you. Ryan Nass. He was a young army soldier of 23 from Tennessee, uh, who lost his life along with the other nine uh, soldiers in the carnage at um, Kabul airport in Afghanistan a year ago, just as the military were leaving the country. Ryan Nas, his broken-hearted Christian grandpa, said a few words about his passing. He was a believer. So we will see him again in heaven. Zacchaeus was a believer. 
we will see him again in heaven. The question has to be asked, my friends. Are you a believer? Will it be said of you when you're called to leave this world behind? He was a believer. We'll see him again in heaven. Or may it be so of you and may it be true of me as well, that we're as wise, that we're brought to see our need as Zacchaeus was brought to see his greatest need of all, his need of Christ. And as I said earlier, he found that need. His that need was met when he started climbing, when he started climbing up to Jesus. May the Lord bless his word to us. Let us pray. <clears throat> we pray, Lord, thy blessing upon thy precious word, that it may lodge in our hearts, and that we might practice it in our lives. It is sometimes easy for us to enter a pulpit and uh, to speak, uh, and to uh, preach, and to proclaim. May we just not uh, be proclaimers, or hearers, or readers, but doers, May we be doers of uh, God's word, and may we reflect that grace of God that was reflected in the life uh, of uh, Zacchaeus when he came to see his greatest need in this world, that he was a sinner, and that his uh, need was of Christ as his Savior. And we pray, Lord, for that experience that was his, and the experience of our friends here and in all their homes, household salvation, household grace, household mercy, and household uh, faith. Lord, forgive us for anything that we have said amiss, and forgive us our sins even in holy things, and cleanse us in the precious blood of the Lamb, all for Jesus' sake. Amen.